Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. As you remember why we're doing this? Someone's we're seeking the pleasure on. of Allah, right? Somebody's telephone is on. Your phone. No. My phone's in my bag, mate. Yeah, but it's on. We're being checked. Someone's going to listen to this. Be like the Marley team of Para. <laughs> 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 she reads, Assalamu alaykum, everybody. I hope you're all well. We're back for another Two Sets podcast. Everybody say salam. Assalamu alaykum. Walaikum assalam. <laughs> we ain't done this for a while, I can tell. As soon as I sit here, assalamu alaikum, I'm like, okay, welcome. It's I mean, a- we did record one a couple of weeks ago, but That's Sarah said we all sounded rubbish. Proper. Because we were all really stressed trying to plan street eats. Assalamu alaikum to anyone that gets street eats. We love you all for the support. I feel like one ummah. I feel like a family after street eats. I really eats. do. I'm mm. never going to talk trash about the ummah ever again. Oh, we can't <laughs> I mean, because I don't yeah, I love the ummah. That's one of my underrated. We have to leave that conversation for right, later, right, later. Right. Okay, so we are back doing another overrated, underrated session. For anybody who doesn't know how this works, um, each of us bring two subjects or topics that we think are overrated and two that are underrated. Uh, we discuss them and we leave them for public scrutiny. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. Who's first? Up to you, Nafisa. <laughs> I was first on the last non-recording one. She just made that up. Okay, my first overrated. Um, I'd just like to give a disclaimer that... I feel quite bad that I'm putting it in the overrated category because I think it's a little bit harsh. But since this is the setup we have, it's going to fit in overrated instead of underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is overrated because of the way it's executed is the body confidence movement. The reason why is because I, when I think about the body confidence movement in the mainstream, I think a lot of white feminism, it feels a lot of the times that body confidence comes with a certain lifestyle. Like you can't believe, like throw away the scales, get rid of um, diet culture and all of these things that are seen as like really evil. And if you follow any of those things or engage with any of those things, then you must not be part of the body confidence movement. Wait, are you saying that there's two sides to the body confidence movement? Yeah, I think there's a wider spectrum. So like, for example, I'm someone who weighs myself like every single day, right? Um, Did you do this last time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm okay. like, did I hear this conversation? We're some of us recycling today, isn't it? Oh, is it? You do, you know? Um, I came with fresh, fresh. Um, yeah, so like the what triggered me writing, uh, thinking of this as my overrated, was I read a book called something like Just Eat It or something. And it's basically like I was quite shocked at the book and I was shocked because like... It was putting forward her experiences of diets and um, eating disorders and things like that, which is fine. But then what she then did is put out these like new rules of how we should be eating and things like that. She, like she's even made her own like food pyramid 
and she's got a section called fun foods which is like donuts cookies and she's like oh you can have fun foods every day in my world I'm like no you cannot have those fun foods every day but it's like each to their own right mm. what I struggle with the body confidence movement is putting personal trauma mm. and personal opinions as universal truths mm-hmm. like just because you've had a really bad relationship with weighing yourself and scales and seeing your weight as a number it doesn't mean that now will not work for everyone for me the reason I weigh myself every day is it it helps me gauge like if I'm it helps me gauge like how I should be eating basically so I've got like a basic weight that I try and maintain and then if I've like eaten a lot in one day then I'll just eat less tomorrow and for me that works and I'm not saying that's like that should be how everyone should treat their diet can you put on weight in a day and lose weight in a day but isn't it like water and muscle no yeah like obviously like when I'm on my period and stuff you account for things like that but generally yeah like generally if I haven't eaten like I do my morning weight and my end weight and Mm. so you know like generally what's been going on like during street eats my end of day weight was like not very different from my beginning of the day weight because I was hardly eating Mm. Um, can I backtrack really quickly yeah go on how she conflated body confidence with diet because that whole thing is like you should you shouldn't have to do diets you shouldn't you should just you shouldn't have to do diets carbs aren't bad but is she giving actual nutritional advice yeah she she was saying sugar's not addictive huh yeah, she said sugar's not addictive. That's in her shambolic. Book. I mean, sugar is addictive. And the thing—that's the—that's <laughs> the thing. Like, I—I I don't need to read a research paper to tell me sugar's addictive. I know how my body responds to sugar. Yeah. Like, if I—even if I've gone like three months without sugar, as soon as I have a tiny bit of sugar, my body just is like, I want more. I want more. I want more. Yeah. And so she—she she does all she. But the thing is, like, it's not about her. It's about the wider movement around people feeling like, in the same way with feminism, you can only be a feminist if you're a certain yeah. value set which mm. is why a lot of Muslim women feel like the feminist movement's not for them mm. and like, the thing is like that whole concept that she puts forward of like just eat it it just doesn't work for everyone and my palate would get hijacked yeah. you know what I mean like if I went through like oh yeah that's what because I think also like if we take it back to Islam we know about our nafs and mm. our nafs is what like is our carnal desires mm-hmm. and for me I, th- I think a lot of eating and you know Ramadan's coming up and that mm. um is about us taming our nafs and the fact that actually if you want that donut you don't have to eat that donut yeah. because what is that donut actually doing food is huge like I, the like ramadan is like so revolutionary in the time that we live in in terms of as a in as a infrastructure for you to really like come back to what you should be doing like food is huge because we're like surrounded by options at any given time you know look at the amount we've talked about that we've spoken about the amount of halal burger joints and stuff like that and you know we do need to strip back to like are we eating just to like fuel our desires and our pleasure and all these double stack burgers and everything like that how would you get around some something like street eats though i think that's why for us it's also, like having people at Sufra Food Bank is really important mm. because for us, it's like still the fact that, look, this is the reality for thousands of people, both here and around the world. And to to have like at the end of the day, we can't put a check on every single person of like, oh, can you only have one portion? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I, th- I think we just do need to have more conversations about the reality of the food that we're eating. And we've spoken about before how food is so linked, like we don't realise how linked it is to the state of our heart and our mm. souls and our behaviour and everything like that. OK, 
Okay, so my second overrated, um, I think I've touched on this on previous podcasts um, somewhere, but did I? I think we bang on about it a lot. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot, but you can never talk about it too much. Um, my overrated is um, scarcity mentality. Um, so I think I can't remember if I have spoken about this on podcast. You have, you have. We talked about it with millionaire mindset, and then what the other, what it looks like on the opposite end of the spectrum. In the past, I've spoken about it in the con in the context of feeling like you shouldn't open your own business because oh, there's ten other people, and thinking that there's not enough opportunities and things like that. But I wanted to speak about it in the context of supporting others, mm. and. What I wanted to touch on in particular was obviously we it was the first year that Amalia ran Street Eats this year. Um, for those that don't know Street Eats, it's Halal Gems flagship food festival that happens in Old Spitalfields Market, and it's a lineup of halal street food, uh, entertainment, talks, panels, and it's just a nice three days of everyone to get together. Um, so we did did it over Easter weekend and it was so amazing mashallah mm-hmm. um, it was just so nice to just see everyone and the Mali community came through so strong I mean, we talk about <clears throat> the Mali community that came through so strong we're sitting here today because we met someone at Street East yeah we're in a different studio today by the way we're on um, King's College London's campus big up King's College and we met <laughs> Mohammed at the event and he was just talking about Amalia and what he does and so this was all because of community and streets yeah. alhamdulillah honestly the Mali community are so amazing mashallah um, so yeah the reason and Halal Jim's community yeah mm-hmm. I'm still trying to get to know you <laughs> um, so yeah the reason I want to mention scarcity mentality is because every year when streets happens um, we get well I say we because now Amalia run Halal Gems as well but um the the team before so Roman and Zora every year they said that including this year halal food bloggers they turn up to event and two things happen either they take photos of the food and then post them to their Instagram and say oh my god this is so yummy they don't mention street eats they don't mention halal gems so as far as you're concerned like they've just gone to like this market by themselves mm-hmm. um, or they like come love the food enjoy the food but like do not men- are totally silent on social. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I feel entitled to the support um, in the second case when they, where they're like s- s- silent, yeah. but it's where I feel like it's coming from, especially in the first instance where they're actually posting but not mentioning where they were. And I think it comes from a place of the, the scarcity mentality of like, if I support someone else and if I try and elevate someone else, if I use my platform to shout someone else out, then it is gonna take something away from me and my success. And, and I'm my, gonna be less than. Yeah, and my opportunities. And I just, I think it's really, Really, like I'm really shocked at how like gutsy people can be to like turn up, take photos, and then just pretend like they weren't even there. Mm. Um, and the thing is, I, I for if anyone knows like the work that Amalia do, like we're all about passing the mic, we're all about sharing opportunities, we're all about trying to always question like is there someone else that can be doing this instead of us? And it it honestly like it does it. I th- I think a lot of it comes back to your belief in Allah and believing that Allah is the all-giving, is all-knowing, he is the provider of your provision. And, you know, there's that saying that if it's meant for you, it will reach you, even if it is between two mountains. And if it is not meant for you, it won't reach you, even if it's between your lips. And Asma Khan said something at Streets where she was like, always be generous, like generosity will always pay off. And I just thought it was quite sad that people felt like they 
had to go out of their way to not support what we were doing and um it comes and I've I've seen it quite a lot and a lot of people have spoken to me about it of this sense of like people feeling like they can't be celebrating other people that are in the same space mm -hmm. as them and this goes on to like a wider point about um how how we as creators and how we as business owners exist and the thing is like if we were able to everyone always is always saying oh yeah you know we don't have enough infrastructure we don't have our own tables we don't have we always having to ask for a seat at the table in the mainstream and part of it is when we're not working together you're not going to create a table because one person can't create a table mm -hmm. like you know for us at the next treats we'd love to have a panel of like four food bloggers all talking about what they do right yeah and i i just don't understand i don't think people understand like if you work together you can go so far and you know uh, Halal Gems and Amalu come together as a testament of that and even the work that we do within like I mean Anissa from 23 Coast Street have a running joke of like we try and shout each other out as much as we can because like if we both help each other both use our platforms both grow like you have to trust that God is is the one that gives you your provision and yeah. you like Allah does not work in the context of if you help someone else, I'm not going to help you. Like that just is stupid. And even imagine. like in terms of, um, sorry, Sarah, sorry, in no. terms of like helping others, yes, it will come back to you, but also just help others mm. in terms mm. of, you know, not expecting anything in return. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing all this stuff about the food blogger industry, etc. But I still have high hopes. I think yeah. sometimes like it's about putting out those olive branches yeah. and being like, look, we're here not to try and absorb the whole market or anything like that. Mm. We're really here to platform mm. and inshallah help others as well. Like, you know, when we made the announcement about the acquisition, we had like, you know, quite a few people emailing us saying mm. they want to be involved and mm. all of them were food bloggers. Mm. And for me, like, the, you know, I was really excited about that. The fact that they're coming forward and they're like, you know what, you know, welcome. Mm. This is me introducing themselves. So, yeah, we're here for everybody, man. Bismillah. Okay, so my first overrated. This is um, a little bit of a tricky one to talk about. Um, I have like a slight disclaimer to it. So I think in recently we saw, saw what happened to Notre Dame. Yes. And I know myself and some others felt some kind of way about it. And it's not that I necessarily think that um, people have put their values in the wrong place or that this subject is overrated or um, the amount of attention it's received is overrated or even the amount of money that's it's received um, is overrated. I just, again, it was one of those things where like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe it's like a bit of an internal conflict or I can notice like a little discrepancy here. Mm. Um, and I guess it, I, I, I think it's worth talking about. And mm. it's just, it's just how much, um, how overwhelmingly supported this structure has been in the context of some of the greatest tragedies that have happened, like even in the space of this year. And when you see the sheer amount of financial support that it's received, I, I just I just feel a little bit like, whoa. Um, and I get it, because the thing is with the Notre Were Dame... people in the building? No, yeah. no one died. As much as it is a tourist attraction, it is also a place of worship. I guess, do I worship guess the equivalent would be us and the Kaaba. Or yeah, the al it evokes a lot of emotion oh, yeah. in terms of it's a loss, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I don't know if I would equate it to the Kaaba. It's, a, it's the centre of... 
an entire world. The Notre Dame is not. It's a very, like, the thing is, that's where it comes into, like, valuing some religious structures over others. Mm -hmm. I think, like, one of the discussions that was going on around the Notre Dame is, like, oh, okay, the Al-Aqsa was caught on fire. Why isn't this being talked Mm -hmm. about? And I, it's one of those things where you can really see everyone's perspective. With the Al-Aqsa, it's terrorized as a building quite a lot and it it, it does make it to the media not mainstream it It doesn't ever really make it to the mainstream media Mm -hmm. um, but um, it doesn't go completely unnoticed Mm -hmm. Um, and so I suppose like one of the conflicts was oh I'm slightly concerned about the discourse that's happening here and like how much we're valuing some religious structures over others Um, and you could see it from all angles basically but I just think to myself like as someone who really values space, as someone who really values architecture and buildings and <clears throat> communal spaces especially, I can, I can understand and appreciate how much um, this meant to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I just... What you're saying is like, you know, I still think about the, the people of Grenfell. Do you know what I mean? They're homeless. They they're homeless. And, it, and these, these, these moments still are... It still tells you about... It's, it still tells you about, like... The hierarchy. Of yeah, the yeah. hierarchy and the fact that black and brown bodies and immigrants and mm. people that aren't white and people aren't, you know, of default identities are never going to be valued as, as much, you know? It's, it, it disturbs me because it's something I just don't understand. Like, they said that the amount of money that was raised for Notre Dame um, and its restoration period to come... That could be enough to clear the Great Pacific garbage patch. Rewind to a few episodes ago where we actually did explain what that great garbage patch in the ocean is. Mm-mm-mm. Did we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, wow. My, I think my overrate, underrated was... Plastic. Oh, it was plastics. Anissa. Yeah. So and it was Anissa who did the... Um, I just wanted to come from a different angle. I think it's upsetting. I think a historic building that's gone is upsetting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think the people of Grenfell who passed away, mm. those that are still been, you know, not homed, those that have not been homed, you housed. know, not been housed, it's a tragedy and we should still, we should be outraged. I think what ends up happening because there isn't enough outrage or enough support is we end up comparing um, different tragic mm-hmm. things, right? I can't say the word. Different things. And it's it's unfortunate that we come to a space where we're comparing, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's not a priority, this is a priority. Like, I wish there was just more support, or you know, all round. Yeah. But to, but to be very real, it's because yeah. you see, you have the attention of the people, so you use that attention to, to talk, you know? It's the same way when New Zealand attacks happened, it would have been lovely for us to just be able to mourn in and just be normal humans but mm. we had to use that momentum to then highlight oh look at the media bias oh look at how they're talking about it. oh mm. look how no one cares like you, it's it's unfortunate that the momentum of these issues and we see it all the time we see it all the time with any tragedy like the momentum people then feel like they have to use that momentum because everyone is, has their eye on the book because tomorrow's too late the yeah. news is gone no one cares anymore yeah. um, and they have to use the momentum to raise raise the awareness of things like Grenfell all over again because yeah. on a normal day it will just fall flat. Yeah. Of so as you know what I think like the Notre Dame is something emblematic of 
people dying it, because mm. it's such a communal space and because it's a global spot as well. Like there are there are people that come to visit it from all over the world, and and it's a religious place of worship. So it basically taps into all of these different spaces and, and it's realms. But I just I, so there's no there's no doubt about it. There's no conflict in the fact that I think money should be raised to restore it and mm. that it should it belongs to the people and it's a place of worship and it should be respected. But um, I, th- I the only conflict here is that I, I do wonder where people's priorities are at where when there are people dying. Mm. Like I, I know it sounds very cliche and throwaway to say there are people dying, but there's literally tragedy after tragedy unfolding in. Mm in very short spaces of time all over the world and and more recently at religious yeah exactly and you just think Sri Lanka we go on about you know like synagogue a concerted effort from the global community and it's just this narrative that's reported that everything is limited and resources are limited and you know this that and the other and I can't donate to everything and la 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 Mm. but it's like I mean clearly this is a story that like this is a story that clearly like defaces all I mean, of those. I mean, even if it's not about the the financial perspective of it, even the media bias. I, this is one that I used for my last my our flat recording. It was the be, being a jack of all trades. Um, so recently, like I keep like running into this one. I know you have Nafisa as well. Like where you think to yourself, like I wish I had. A, like a skill that I had harnessed or that I could focus or that I could spend some time like cultivating um, and that is in the career space in the, the personal development space as well and and I find myself to be someone who like also can't really settle down with one thing I'm always jumping from one skill one thing I want to learn to the next I've always looked at it like it's um, it's a good thing and it's an asset and it's something that also is very it, it aligns with who I am quite well as well mm. because I'm quite I'm quite an eclectic person by disposition anyway so it makes sense that I would have my I fingers and say eclectic I think of a charity show <laughs> <laughs> I always think of eccentric and I always mm. get like they they're quite similar actually like to be eclectic you have to have like a little bit of a quirk in you but I do envy people that like really funnel themselves into a skill or have like a real passion or are able to carry through like um, a trade or um, a legacy and and it's not that necessarily I would like to be memorable but mm. like if I have just things that I'm meeting the bar with that's not I don't know if that's much of a legacy I don't know if I'm really teaching myself or anybody else something and so you just have to go through that process of like convincing yourself that you're like not coasting and um, and also that like having a skill um is just as overrated as being a jack of all trades. So I feel like what I'm trying to say is being a jack of all trades and being able to do everything is a um, little bit trendy because it makes you a little bit more, uh, what's the word, in demand in the career I space. I would go as far to say it's not even trendy. I think it's needed in the time and space that we live in. Yeah. You know, the world is changing at a very rapid, yeah. in a very mm. rapid way. You know, what you, you know about social media today it will change in two years. Yeah, you're constantly months. having to so like... So you're having to keep up. Yeah. So I think that this might even be just a season of our lives. Mm. I was watching a programme on um, this Japanese woodmaker. Mm. He carves wood, he makes like these toys and stuff. He started in his retirement. He started that skill in his retirement. And now he's considered like one of the experts in Jap- Japan. And he makes like these toy cars and they're beautiful. And I was like, wow, like... I will be an expert in something. Mm. Perhaps it's just not now. Like, mm. I've been gardening now for a few years, and with every year, 
I learn a little bit more, I know a, bit, a little bit more. But I'm not an expert. Why are you laughing? Laughing because on the weekend I was with Selena. <laughs> Oh, what was I doing? And she's sitting on the sofa while I'm watching TV and she just goes, oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened? She's like, I think the plum tree's got a disease. <laughs> and she, in her hand, she had like a little cutting of the plum tree and the plums had come out like in really random weird shapes. The like weird, not, not. They were like weird raindrops. It looked something like, something like Dali's artwork. Yeah, it looks so strange. <laughs> you know where that, that artwork where everything, the face yeah, is falling? Yeah, it looks that's like, what the plum That's what like. it looked like. And we <laughs> oh, guess I mean, I'm very loud, but no one at home seems to want to listen. But if we don't cut the plum tree down, it's going to infect all the other trees. And she was there frantically like on her phone and she was like... If you don't cut it down, then it can spread through the air to the other plants, please. Look at you and your green thumb. FYI, yes, yesterday, Selena, um, like... So we got paid. Some, <laughs> we got paid. It was payday. She was like, take this. I opened my hand. She put a bunch of pea seeds in my hand. <laughs> I put them in my jacket and I, I didn't know, but I had like a hole in the lining. And... <gasps> I wait, just wait saw, for like, it, wait for it. Just on the central line, I just saw this trail of pea seeds behind me and everyone's just looking at like where this trail is. She tried to going. pretend it wasn't there. I was just looking at I was like, I don't know, shaking my head. <laughs> and then, meanwhile, I'm just having to like grab the lining of my pocket, just hold down, <laughs> close swag it out. So Bless. do you remember my um, response to this in the last recording? Yeah, you re- you agreed with me, but I think like I think where what I was coming we from last time, it was Jack of all trades. So where I was coming from, you know what? From, I fully have amnesia because I'm not clocking that we've done this before. <laughs> the last time I did and it, it was pretty spoke dead. About that Japanese toy maker last time. <laughs> no, I did it. Lord, this, we all recycle on what, default. Last time, last, yeah. Uh, last and do you know what? When you said that, I remembered <laughs> the documentary I watched, and I was about to bring it up, and I realised that I said it last time as well. And that was Diary of Dreams of Sushi, which is rated like ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So anyone who hasn't watched it, watch it. You might find it really jarring in the you beginning, like a radio but push through. Now. <laughs> <laughs> push through. It's really good. Like it. It just basically talks about being a master of something, um, and how this like old man has been doing sushi his whole life, and he's mastered it. He's one of the most sought after mm-hmm. chefs in Japan and he's got some dinky little restaurant where like um, there's like three or four seats and it's got a waiting list for like oh, a year we just need to move to Japan everything you know happening was, in Japan I was watching um, a documentary yesterday on Netflix on Japan street food and yeah. no, it's oh I saw Singapore. that I was going to watch it and they were talk- talking about you're like Jack of all trades master they yeah. were talking about how um, they have these like street food markets where mm. they're normally family run so they're like in generation three at the moment and they said some of the food is dying out because the kids no longer want to like run the market see right? my first point the whole cultural dieting business and th- and then what happened there's like this one guy where he was like I started teaching like other people he does like this really authentic chicken and rice mm. and it's just like they boil the, they poach the chicken and it's like this whole process and it's about taking- does it come out red no 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 oh, no okay. no um and he was like, you know, I my kids didn't want to do it, so I just started teaching other people because I don't want chicken and rice to die out. Mm. And it's, like, known as, like, an iconic dish. Mm. Um, but then there are some places where, like, you, you see the chefs and they're, like, really old men. And, you know, after them, that, that like, that's it. No one's going to know how to make that, that dish, and it's really sad. Can you sad. believe that there are dishes that have disappeared from the face? You know, we talk about animals going into extinction. Yeah, But meals. there are culinary meals <sighs> yeah. that doing, had stories 
Streeties. You know, we had the yeah. panel at Streeties. Yeah. And about just food listening. And heritage. Yeah, food, mm. about food and heritage. And just listening to some of the stories. Like, you know, if you look at Yemen, it's going through a lot of political turmoil and conflict yeah. at the moment. There are some people that will not be able to return to Yemen yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And some of the only ways that they can hang on to their culture is through their food yeah. and their, um, their language. Yeah. And to know that they won't be able to revisit to pick up more recipes or yeah. that's it that's all we have yeah. but th- that's happening as um, as a direct result of people just losing the motivation to mm. have a specific trade mm-hmm. see I'm, so, so I, I really do sit somewhere in the middle because I think it's necessary and I think it's also like like when I think about it, it I know it always comes from my nuffs that I want to be able to do everything yeah. it's something that I want to be able to like um, be a painter yeah do you, do you but it also part- comes from a communal thing I, yeah. I'm, I'm driven to community it's like the more I'm able to do or yeah. engage with the more people I'm able to engage with and the more I'm able to learn and converse but I don't necessarily think that's helpful for my life <laughs> or even my, my so nerves. I remember me and you were talking about this um, over lunch the other week and one of the things I re- and I realised it in that very moment when we were talking mm-hmm. is I've always given myself a really hard time of like oh now if you never stick to one thing like you never just like master one thing you're always like constantly I'm always got like a new hobby or a new phase and I, I now I'm <clears throat> I'm now at a stage where I'm like okay I know this will last eight weeks and then mm. you know I'll be doing something else and I've always I, I used to be really hard on myself for that but but now I'm less hard because I realized that like there's two broadly I see it as two paths you either have a path where you learn a skill really well and that skill is the service that you give that you learning that skill you can then pay your service to the world and people through mm-hmm. that skill or there's a mission that you um take on right and to fulfill a mission you don't necessarily have to have a skill set you have to have lots of different skill sets and that's how I reconcile being jack of all trades where I'm like okay my mission at this moment in time is through Amali and Halal Gems and the other work that we do how do we make it easier for Muslim women to exist and then reach the mission so for me I've I've I think I've actually what it makes sense though enough though but your your mission is your is your trade is your craft and yeah. everything else is like a manifestation of that everything is a means to, to make a means. The, the mission happen yeah. whereas I think there are some people where you know you can very clearly see like that is a skill that you know is for them and that's You're pointing to me <laughs> but I, I find that with um, with taekwondo when I first started I was like, I'm never. It's gonna take me too long to be good at this. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Mm. And then I quit because I was like, what's the point? Like, if it's gonna take me all, like, if I'm not yeah. gonna be good in a year, what's the point? Yeah. You know. And but then I was like, do you know what? The time's gonna pass anyway. And mm. the reality is, at the end of eight years, I'm still not gonna be amazing. I'm still not gonna be the best. But I'm gonna be better than how I started in the yeah. benchmark that I had exactly. when I started. That's how I wanted to close it off. Actually, or round it off is that like if anyone is feeling pressured that they don't have a skill or a trade or they feel like they're not really manifesting a sense of ihsan in anything that they do, um, it's all all the more about intention, even mm. ihsan. It's like you don't have, like the capacity to be excellent is subjective and it's, it, it's so, so individual true. to every single time you sit down and approach even the same task at hand, right? Um, but also like if you feel empty or void of... Um, some facet of your personality don't because it's it's probably dormant it's lying mm. there dormant and um it's it can also look very very abstract mm. especially for that post graduation yeah. uni crew where 
you know, you're just like, oh wait, I'm in the big, big world now. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. You you have time, man, and just just give it time and just move intentionally is the biggest yeah. piece of advice I would give. But yeah, that's it. That's my Okay, so I think one overrated is staying up late to work. Um, and I am that person. I have always claimed for my for me. I can't speak today. I can't form a single sentence. Okay, I'm so tired. Sorry. Um, yeah, I've always claimed to be that night owl. I work best at night. My you know my creative juices flow then, etc., etc., etc. But what if someone told you there was actually proven benefit and proven baraka in your morning time? And I want to take you back to. The Prophet, I want to take you back to something that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did for us, right? Mm. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he actually did this for us. Mm. He actually prayed to Allah to grant abundance to the Ummah in the early morning. And the dua was, Oh Allah, bless my nation with their early mornings. So he would actually send people to battle in the beginning of the day. So we saw it as. Beginning being sunrise yeah beginning of the day exactly so over the last few months like to one two months i have been trying to get up earlier get things done and honestly i I have felt like there is more baraka i think when you work at night you slightly feel like time is running out and it's a different sort of creative juice and i'm not i i totally get people saying that doing this whole early morning waking as well what it has made me do is be more efficient in my day because I'm not like, well, I've got, you know, till 12 p.m., till 3 a.m. in the morning to work. Now I need to get stuff done because mm. tomorrow is now tomorrow morning. Mm. I'm now going to let my seat work seep into the next day, mm. not the night. Because the night you always feel like, oh, I've got time. I'm still doing mm. it within the same day. Mm. But when you then kind of refocus your priorities and say, you know what, I'm not going to work at night anymore. Mm. I'm only going to work if I need, you know, when I, for streets, for example, when we needed to get work done, I'd just wake up super early mm. and try and get stuff done and then maybe have a little nap or rest. And I would actually recommend if you are specifically a procrastinator, I would really try and apply this ruling to your life. Because God, ruling, I sound like I'm issuing a, a fatwa. But um, I would try and apply this to your life because it it doesn't give you that feeling of, I've got all day. Mm. I'll do it later, 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 later. Later never comes. And if you... It does. It does. But if you apply the later rule in terms of, I can only work in the morning hours, then you realise, well, I need to get it done now. You know what? Sometimes the stuff you're procrastinating over, it's like an hour's work. As a a procrastinator sometimes, I'm going to say it's laziness. It's laziness that I don't want to do a specific task that is a bit boring. There are two things that, as Muslims, you need to have for us to succeed, Mm. right? The first one is the love of Allah. Mm. Once you have a love of Allah, everything else will fall into place. You'll realise why you're doing something. you realise why you don't do something. you realise the purpose behind everything you do. you realise that every single thing you do, even when you sleep, it will become an abadha. And I know that sounds ridiculous that sleep will become an abadha, but I was listening to a talk yesterday, yeah, and um, the sheikh was saying... If you actually make the intention to sleep with the intention that I'm trying to sleep so I will have more energy for my day to worship Allah, whatever it is, you will have blessings in your... Can you imagine just getting blessings while you fall asleep? Yeah. I've never ever thought about it like this. The second thing as Muslims that we, we should be doing is not wasting our time. Mm. And I think procrastination comes from the fact well. that we 
uh, we do not see time as a blessing because it's not tangible. Because if to, if I were to tell any of you two that tomorrow, 12 o'clock, you have to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve in this in this dunya, mm. you would be scrambling. Yeah, you'd start prioritising and say, well, this is what I want to achieve. Me, I would buy 10,000 seeds and plant them all there's over the that, world. There's that analogy, isn't it? If every day, I mean, it's a bit millionaire mindset, but it's relevant. If every day someone deposited you with like um, £240,000 yeah. and seeing that as time, seeing that as 24 hours, like you, you would make the most of it, you know? And if every day they said, like, by the end of it, it'll be, like, cleared. I mean, I'm saying that, Nanji, really rubbishly, but you understand no, what I I'm get saying. It. Yeah. Like, it's holding you, time to its weight. It. Mm. Yeah, like, I don't... I, I personally don't hold time to I think to procrastination is actually a trendy label. It is. Oh that has God. been applied... Mm. To a lot of us, for us to feel better about yeah. the time that we are fundamentally wasting. People call wasting. themselves procrastinators as if, like, you know, that's the best it's a badge trait of honor. Mm. Yeah. I'm saying this from someone who procrastinates. I don't think we hold time as heavy as it should be. So there is an aspect here to offer nuance where, like, everyone's everyone is struggling you know everyone's trying to like yeah. live in this capitalist system everyone feels like they have to work all these hours and I get it and yeah. so that little time that you do have you yeah. just want to numb your mind watch mm. Netflix scroll mindlessly like there is a very real aspect of like people a lot of people are just surviving mm. and so they're not able to live their best life because even those little pockets of time they, they, they people are just tired you know mm. and so there is a very real side if anyone resonates with this conversation, Ramadan is coming up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do like really do an audit of your time. Do mm. really think about how can I spend my time? Because, you know, I find myself being more mindful. Like in, in Ramadan, I don't touch Netflix. Mm. And it's, it's mad because like... You know, it, it just it just goes to show. Yeah, it just naturally, and also it's because I'm you're just busy with other stuff. You know, you're constantly either thinking about what how you're gonna spend your mm-hmm. evening, your suhoor, your iftar, whether you're gonna go mosque or not. Like I just find like my energy. You are is, in a better. Yeah, like it's just it's crazy. Like and it's so it, it's so amazing. It's like a boot camp. Today, so my my second overrated yeah. yeah. I need to get this point out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am doing this for all the mothers, all of the parents, and all of the children of our ummah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have got your back today. What is overrated? This isn't the mothers or the children and the parents. Is your annoyance with children in public spaces, in restaurants, in places that are allowed to exist? And I want to take this to Ramadan. 
I heard a story in the weekend where a mother came with her child to the masjid. It was one of the first times that she came to the masjid and her daughter was crying and the women started to shame her. The woman, and there was another woman went up to her, hugged her and she said, you know, don't worry about it, it's okay. She said, I'm not going to come back again. That is, the, it's a very simple story, yeah? That woman does not want to come back to the mosque because she was shamed because her child that could not control herself. How do you, like, forget any other, like, need to have... Well, to she hadn't come existence. to the mosque for years. It was the first time she wanted to bring her child to show her what Islam is. And here we are shaming her. Yeah. Even even at street, someone said, um, it was someone DM'd me and they were like, um, alhamdulillah, it was so nice to be able to bring my child mm. and them not be seen as a nuisance. And they were like, the fact that you thought about, because there was, on Sunday, there were activities for children, shout out Story Story and Alim, who was amazing, mashallah, and Hafsa, who also read her book, Bazira, the basketballer says, and the colouring table. And the colouring table set up by Selena. Um, yeah, and they were like, you know, normally in our communities, and she meant Muslim communities, as a mother, we're just seen as a nuisance because of the the children that we bring with us and so children are just seen as these things that are just being annoying in mm. in the spaces that we try and come into here people who are you know maybe not my age bracket younger or whatever it is and they have bad uh inter- they have bad memories of the masjid mm. because you know how people have been so what i'm asking you to do is be an activist for the mothers and the children if you're going to the mosque this ramadan for tarawih for any of your salah if you see a mother struggling i beg you go up to her hug her ask if she needs any help you know it's still active ibadah you're helping another muslim i remember when um selena came down to my ends and we went to tarawih and selena's little one was like how old was he I don't know. I he, just was, he was he was tiny. Time. He was like he was, he was carrying size, yeah? yeah. Like he was tiny, and we were all there. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> during Tarawi, like it's really packed. It's really busy. You know, it isn't ideal for kids to be there. But in some know, mosques, yeah, in some in some mosques. And this woman, she wasn't praying. She was just sitting there. And then she looked after Isa the whole Tarawi. And Tarawi's long, you yeah. know. But she she we didn't know her, and she just sat there and she just looked after them and held him. <coughs> And it was so beautiful and it was like, that's when we talk about community and ummah, like that's literally what it is to help each other have ease in, in their and lives. And I don't know if there's a hadith, but I'm sure she got the reward of all the, as if of she course, paid tarot. Yeah, of course. Cheers. <coughs> so for my first underrated is, uh, I think uh, safe spaces are really 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 underrated mm. um i used to think safe space was a bit of a buzzword because i just see it everywhere um and then when i actually saw it in action i was like wow safe spaces are revolutionary um so a couple of weeks ago when the new zealand attacks happened um and over 50 muslims were shot dead in a mosque um we at Amalia felt like um, there was like this collective mourning that we could see was happening on social and, you know, was happening in like conversations between us and other sisters. And we felt like there needed to be a, just a, like an actual physical space for people to come together. So on the Friday, we just put out a message and said, look, on Monday, we're just opening up a space for Muslim women to come and just use it however they want to speak about um, what happened. And I, it was honestly, mashallah, it was incredible. Like we had over 50 Muslim women turn up um, from all sorts of different walks of life and backgrounds. And they were just all there because they had this like common thread of 
also being Muslim, also feeling some type of way about New Zealand. Um, and we just kind of opened the floor up for everyone to just talk as they wanted and talk about how they felt. And, you know, even one sister said it was only till this very moment now where I realised the impact of what's happened. And she was up until this point, I was very desensitised to everything that I was seeing in the news. And then another sister was... Um, talking about you know in her workplace she felt like she was crazy because she was trying to talk to people in the workplace about it and for them they were just kind of like brushing it brushing Not past it. yeah and she was just like she was like I came into this mode where I was like going she was like normally like everyone wants to talk to me and she was like I started being this person who's like trying to get a response out of everyone and anyone and she was like it made me feel really crazy and like loads of conversations like that like another sister was saying how in the workplace like someone would say oh yeah it's really sad and then move on to the next conversation and for her she's like actually I, I just want to speak about it a bit more but it felt weird to kind of like bring it back and it just made me realize that we hold so much with us on like a day-to-day -day basis that we don't feel safe in a lot of like the places that we exist and even with streets like there were so many um people that came and you know one thing selena said was street eats was about more than just hot dogs and ice cream it was about being able to exist in a space with your guard down you know not having to worry about um you know microaggressions and things like that because you were collectively in this space and um even one of my um friends mums who came and you know she, I, I don't know how old is the niece's mum um, I'm not going to try and guess her, her age, but one of my friend's mums came and she was like... I mean, whatever age is, she looks buff. She's over 40 and she was like, you know, in the 40 plus years of my life, I never. this is the first time that I realised I needed a space like this. Wow. And, you know, she was like, I never... You know, what she was describing was what it meant to feel So Actually, do you know what? Let me play the voice note that Anissa, Anissa said. Um, Can you hear it? Just to keep giving people a space, you know? Like, my mum was like, I never realised I needed a space like that. And I felt so safe and comfortable. And she was like, I've never really realised that that's what was missing. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. It's nice for that to not even be, like, um, thawed out of her. Like, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't provoked. Yeah. It's something that... How did you find it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, like, <clears throat> it made me think that, you know... I've I've normally always been like, oh, I really hate networking. Actually, I really enjoy networking. Mm. I really enjoy talking to other people. But what I realised is I was always networking in spaces that didn't feel safe. Mm. And I was always networking in spaces that I wasn't able to be myself. Because you had your guard up. Yeah, like there's a lot of alcohol or like, you know, there's not that many people of colour and I'm having to like laugh at jokes that I don't understand. But because they're but like... But that's a different problem. People aren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I realised that and I wrote about this on my um, Instagram that... Um, People of colour and Muslim inclusive spaces made me realise that I'm not actually as introverted as I thought. Um, and I've been in, and what it was is I realised that, because uh, whenever I was at something like Muslimic Makers or an Amalia, something at Muslimic Makers or Amalia event or even Street Eats, like, I'm like, wow, like I'm really enjoying talking to people. 
and it's what I realized is I'd previously been in loads of spaces that weren't inclusive and so it made me think I wasn't sociable when really I just had a guard up from the realization that I wasn't in a safe space so like you instead of like being yourself you're just constantly like surveilling the place basically and thinking can I be myself can I be myself I wonder how many people are in the same position and don't realize it yeah and and so many people messaged me and said only when I read this message I realized that I'm the same um and I wrote, you don't realise how on guard you move in spaces that aren't inclusive. And the scary thing is it becomes your default way of navigating spaces. Yeah. And I think about all the people in workplaces who are like consistently struggling. And what that then means is they don't reach their potential. Because if you can't be yourself, if you can't bring your whole self and just be you, you're, you're constantly like your headspace is being taken up by how do I operate in this space but and stay safe. Um, and I remember going to a founder event last year and um, I found it really uncomfortable because I felt like I had to push really hard to like make relationships with people. And that's because I felt like everyone was cut from a very different cloth. I think what it is, is, is a lot of spaces are dominated um, from a, a white point of view. And so you're already entering a space of what is expected. Like a lot of what is seen as professional is is dictated by what do white people do Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of my cousins a lot of my uncles would not be seen as professional because they have different mannerisms that are aligned with their culture but aren't but aren't of what a default white male how they would behave right even the cultural dress like why is why is a suit seen as like the pinnacle of professionalism there's also a deeper thing about the reason why we feel like we have to the reason why we feel like we have to conform when we enter those like spaces and be more palatable versions and laugh at jokes that we don't understand the cultural references to is because there's like a sense of a power play Mm -hmm. and the very real reality is while we can talk about safe spaces the reality is that the bitter truth is that there's an actual disadvantage to me if I don't learn how to network in white places in white spaces there's a disadvantage to me if I don't learn how to network in white spaces but the same can't be said for the other way around Mm -hmm. and that's because the global hierarchy is that a lot of gatekeepers and a lot of power is white and so when we talk about whiteness you know people aren't talking about an individual white person they're talking about whiteness as like a political structure and a hierarchy and so it doesn't benefit white people to be able to know our cultural references because we're not the ones that have the power and it, it, it can feel disheartening but I think that's why safe spaces are really important to kind of refuel you and give you that sense of actually like I can be this person and that's okay mm. so one thing I want to talk about again I spoke about this on Instagram because it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time um, and in particular I was I had the privilege to be able to think about it at length when I wrote an essay for It's Not About the Burqa, which um, is a book with essays from lots of different Muslim women. Um, I say privilege because not everyone has like, the time to just be able to think about a topic and on a topic. Um, one thing that I think is really underrated and we're not talking about enough is how um, communities are being co-opted and um, communities and individuals and creatives and what I wanted to speak about is... Isn't I'm, it the Drake effect? What's the Drake effect? Drake just comes in, busts out a couple, yeah. couple of English words, a couple of Spanish words. Um, so there's like loads of incredibly amazing 
people of color, young creatives who were doing like really cool things. And I feel like more than ever, it's easier to th start an initiative or a project. You know, we're seeing so many photo projects and things like that. I'm like, you know what, let's just like, um, you know, and there's so many people who are just like trying to start things. And you know, we are in a really exciting time, like especially if you go onto somewhere like Instagram, you're just seeing so many amazing projects. Um, but one of the things is, is that as the world is changing really fast, um, what is happening is that brands and organizations are really scrambling to remain relevant and yeah. to remain in touch. Mm. And so the easiest way for them to do this is to find young talent that are starting out and then co-opt mm. what they're trying to do and seek relevance through them. Um, and what I basically want to talk about is we need to understand that you you don't need to, you it, we don't need to be represented in every space and we don't need to be represented on every platform and we don't need to say yes to anyone that is asking us to be a part of their platform. And I say that because we really need to understand what our values are. And our power. Our power and what we should be engaging with. And basically what I'm trying to say is stop getting gassed because every single person that you make an exchange with, every brand that you endorse is exchanging values. Yeah. And the exchange, like how I've broken it down is the exchange with someone else is either going to enhance your values, it's either going to compromise your values or it's going to have no net effect, right? It's just neutral and it's just, there's nothing wrong with engaging with it. Um, and I think people need to start thinking really carefully about A, why a brand is approaching them, B, what is the history of this brand, and C, what does this actually mean for my project and my initiative? And flipping your mindset of like, actually these brands need you, you don't need them, just because they have like huge budgets, just because they're internationally known, it doesn't mean that you just have to jump onto what they're asking you to do. Um, and there's an aspect of this of like, yeah, but we have bills to pay. But the reality is that I personally know that a lot of these creatives are not getting paid. And so they're just, you're, the, the reality is they're not getting paid. They're chasing clout. Are you trying clout. to say they're yeah, clout chasers? Yeah, they're clout chasing. And they're also compromising their values in the journey to do this because it's like oh look we can have an association with this huge brand which actually is not going to care about you next month does not actually care about the communities you're trying to represent and don't get me wrong like there's a fine line here of you all being smart and using bigger platforms for furthering what you're trying to do but be smart about that don't just let brands just use your work and use what you're trying to do just as a way for them to look good and at the end of the day you just get to do one instagram post and say oh look what we're doing blah blah blah, blah. i agree with you but to play devil's advocate what would yeah. you say to people who think or who would who would argue that chasing clout is a necessary part of being seen and then I think having I th the traction to be like, able to implement and work with brands that they, so this, they want and then yeah so it, this is the thing i i don't have anything about working for free and working for exposure like me, we do I, enough. Per I personally think that is fine but what i'm saying is understanding your value set and understanding you don't need to be working for everyone mm. and you know i i think one thing people need to think about is if you're saying you're an organization that's here for people of color or for minorities or whatever group you're trying to represent but your biggest and loudest supporters are from community are not from the communities you serve then you have a problem mm. right and that's what i think ends up happening people start projects with the intention to service particular community and then because of the financial setup um, and the lack of infrastructure in our own communities, which is why I think it's important to support each other, 
pe- the, the place to go and get money and the place to go and get exposure and the place to go and get all these things are all these big brands that have huge budgets but do not have any empathy or care for the minorities that you're trying to serve. And, you know, honestly, like, we've had to, like, you know this, like, we've had to say no to money that has come our way and yeah. it's, it's bloody hard. Like, it's been at times where, like, we really needed the money. You Man's know? counting the days and how how many more days we can continue yeah. to survive. And, you know, but, the, but the thing is, again, like, you have to realise that you have to look deeper into brands. Like, do they have a history of co-opting movements? Do yeah. they actually care? Is this actually furthering anyone but your personal brand? Yeah. And I think that's a whole nother conversation to have where people under the guise of furthering a whole group are actually just furthering their own personal brand and their own career. Mm. And I think what I it- think the the to be honest, the word for it is back in the day in my um, era, we just used to call it like sellouts. Yeah, 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 and that's the thing. Like, I I think people don't realize that selling out is not an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. Selling out is an accumulation of lots of decisions, and before you know it, you're doing things and you're participating in things and you're in rooms that you know three years ago you weren't because. It, it's just a series of decisions and that's why every decision is so crucial and when you're moving quite fast like when you're a small company or you're a small organisation and you're moving really fast you make decisions really quickly so mm. you can't always sit and reflect and be like is this the right thing for us to do but it's really important because it's and it's also important that we have mercy on each other mm. like if you do see someone engaging in a platform that you're like oh what's what's going on there let's not drag them yeah don't drag them just approach them and just say I suppose it's just about the awareness isn't it yeah just it's, advice. it's about the awareness and yeah. you know I, conversation i know yeah. it's really difficult but if you are and i think the key thing is be honest with yourself yeah. be like on your whole thing of like but what if clout is part of it be honest that that is what you're doing mm-hmm. like don't try and dress it up and make it something that it's not like be really honest that you're here for a quick buck or clout and yeah. you know know that that's what you're trying to do because the worst place you can be is doing things that are not um well thought out or doing things that are not for the right reasons but you're trying to pass them off as they are I think especially when you're representing others it is vitally important that you do do it for the right reasons yeah because you're kind of hijacking their I don't want to say it and and the thing is like I I think all of this is about we we talk a lot about existing on our own terms and things like that but you know a lot of the influence that we're seeing is still owned by brands it's still owned by organizations so whose terms are we really existing on and just final words is i would say support each other again scarcity mentality get rid of that support each other in building pass the mic where you can help each other in any way hold each other accountable privately like don't drag each other and give people space to learn and develop because it can be really easy to associate with a brand or organisation and you might not have known their history yeah. and you might not have mm-hmm. even had the time to do your due diligence yeah. and we shouldn't be trying to like say like cancel that person just because of that they've done that one thing. But I would say that in terms of Amali for example if we took a few like right in the beginning we could have had a bit of a cash, cash injection there was some interest issues associated with it so we had to decline it and perhaps we would be further in the journey Mm. right perhaps we would be further in the journey but and there's loads of other you know examples that I can give you where we've just said no 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 and our journey is probably slower and mm. we were a few more steps behind than a few other people but you don't even need to compare like no your- but our, this is our journey yeah. do you know what I mean this is our journey and it's just be really honest because I, I just see people jumping onto platforms and doing things that 
and I get it, you're thinking, oh, long term, long term. And like you were saying that, like, you know, you've got to do certain things for milestones. But what ends up happening is with each exchange, you just start selling out more and more and more. And before you know it, you have no relevance to yeah. Yeah. your community anymore because you're just doing the things that will help you gain approval and validation from the people that you never set out mm. to help. Uh, my first underrated is event planning. mate there's two sides to this because i think just as a profession it's massively underrated Mm. and then also the rewarding side of it is massively underrated Mm. um so i had to put my event planning hat on for street eats and i'm just basically still tired and it's two weeks later I'll just, I'll, it's absolutely mad. Like the man, like, bruv, how am I having to be an electrician? Yeah, it's the monotony of it. Yeah. It's the duration. Like, it's how much you have to keep returning, how much detail you have to put into it, how much, like, cross-referencing you have yeah. to do. I was just thought, like, oh, if I ever did it on a scale like that, I'd be like J-Lo in the wedding planner with, like, Bluetooth <laughs> in my ear and, like, <laughs> just looking all finesse. And I was a hot mess, bruv. And I here was, we were with crack lips. Literally, I was just there licking my lips all day and just, just dry mouth and I was just butters. Day man. one, I nearly fainted and I was like, I need to go sit down. Oh, mate. I was just, I was nervous the whole time. But I mean, alhamdulillah, everything went smoothly and it taught, you know, I think I'm thinking with all of us, it taught us to have a lot more conviction in our ability yeah. to coordinate something That's like this because it just looks so daunting. I mean, I'm still like, we I'm didn't so do that. I'm so pleased to hear that yeah. from Sarah, honestly. Well, yeah, but do you know what? I think maybe it's because I had the rewarding side of it as well yeah. and like the feedback means so much. Yeah, it like, does, it does. If I hadn't heard what I'd heard from people, I probably would just, you know, just be a bit of a I like... Yeah, we should read some of the replies. Oh, the too much. No, we can't do that. I, I never I never want to do event planning as a career just because I think it's too stressful and it's massively underrated and anyone who does do it real like hats off to you you, uh, you pull really? off absolutely amazing feats on a daily basis to make other people's lives and events like really nice <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think this side of it people don't get enough credit for it's just uh, the rewarding side of it is meeting really yeah. amazing people in the yeah. process it was amazing and honestly I have to genuinely I have to thank um all of the people that turned up because even there were some sisters I'm going to get this wrong but I think you were from Ken Essex and some other place and no and that was the other sisters yeah and there was another group of the sisters that came from South End and honestly like, I don't think people realise mm. that if you don't turn up there is no event it, the whole thing functions on a system of, system of integrity because yeah. especially with organisations like Amalia where it's just and Halal Gems where it's just a small team and it's very well known like I, I think I'm sure people I'm sure people took into consideration that there would have been a few admin issues and there would have been this and would have been that and they committed to it nonetheless and that is something that is a level of integrity that you can only ever like make da'a for for like that person like that's how I I came away feeling that so many people worked with me as opposed Mm. as opposed to at my and and I and I really do appreciate like all the messages and all the people that did celebrate it because I feel like as a community we're always really quick to talk about when something goes wrong yeah. and when something's not great and I re- that's why I really really appreciate all the messages yeah. because it was like do you know what you're taking your time out not only to come but also then to appreciate it yeah. I want to say a massive thank you to all of the volunteers but especially Gilly because oh you, gee listen you really 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 just just came through on a different level honestly there were so many people behind the scenes that helped make 
uh, Street East happen and we are so so grateful yeah. and I don't think I can ever show you how grateful we are Honestly. but just please know we Penny are really, really grateful you know Thank the week you. before like I was told that we needed first aiders and I was stressing uh, you probably saw me tweet any, any first aiders you know alhamdulillah every single day we had a doctor yeah we had doctors on our team like yeah. alhamdulillah it's mad and honestly, the, uh, even even like the traders, even Old Spitfields Market, they're like security. Even the security team, they're like we've never met such polite floor staff, and even the even the audience that came out, they're like we we. It's been a pleasure. Like people were saying, I've been trading for like five years, and it's been such a pleasure to be here. And honestly, everyone the adab, like honestly, it made me really proud because I felt like it showed like parts of the best parts of our Muslim communities yeah. and you know we also on like if you're on Twitter our, we're always dragging each other and we're all saying oh Dumma's trash and we can't do anything but it gave me like this really heartwarming glimpse on like how we can come together and mobilise and there's so many different people there and so many different walks of life and yeah I'm just really proud of everyone yeah mm. super proud just love to everyone and one day I will be JLo. Uh, <laughs> you will, babe. You Thanks. will. Thanks. <laughs> the next treat. Inshallah. Inshallah. We'll get you a Bluetooth. <laughs> so my second underrated is I'm sure it's not underrated I'm sure people value this podcast very much but I just wanted to give it a massive shout out um, uh, it's um, the Cullum Institute podcast <laughs> it's the Cullum Institute podcast by Ustad Abdul Rahman Murphy and Abdul Nasir Jang- Jangda mm-hmm. I hope I, I haven't struggle with that yeah bit, I so hope yeah. I haven't butchered that I'm so sorry it's so embarrassing you probably have but it's yeah. fine um, so I listen to them on the daily. Uh, really? Yeah, I do. I listen to them on the daily. I try to get because I, I always try to. I listen to one, one podcast, one podcast episode a day. Radio Lab is my go-to, but they are fortnightly. So, um, Column Institute kind of fill in those when gaps. When do you listen to it? On the on my commute. Like it? yeah, so I won't do it while I'm walking because I I like to catwalk and I need music for that. Catwalk, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just gets me from A to B like a lot nicer. Um, but. Um, I do listen to it on my commute and I just find it the most helpful thing ever. I, I'm not an, I'm not an audio learner. Um, so no, so it's, it's a, it's a shame that a lot of the information that I listen to actually doesn't really register. What if you were to write while you were? Yeah, hundred percent. So what we, what did we say that was called kinetic, kinetic. And so uh, that works for me visually and through audio. But I, as long as I write something down, it will go in my head. But yeah, so I don't really register a lot of the information, but I do find it really, really helpful. Like it makes me look at it, especially in the moment, makes me feel some kind of way about something. It, they're mm. very relatable hosts. That's, that's, that's its job in itself, isn't it? In yeah. The moment of yeah, ex- well, exactly. It just really grounds you in the present moment and it makes, it it turns listening into, um, listening or tuning into religious content a lot more, uh, relatable. Um, what sort of stuff do they? So What's they the last one that- they really just break down sorters of the Quran, um, like Surat Maryam and um, other real lessons in the Quran that pertain to this subject of the heart. Mm. And um, I think it's it's more to do with them as instructors and their approach and their and their delivery um, and their community. Oh my God, it's so amazing! I'm constantly in awe about the movements the US are making with their Muslim communities and the kind of initiatives that they have over there mm. um and it's nice for me to kind of tune in um to what's going on over there and, and column institute is like mm. a really good uh, uh place for that so if anybody hasn't listened to them especially during ramadan because it's like 
it will it will have started by the time this go oh, this goes gosh. out. Um, they are definitely a really good one just to have like Quran reflections or learn something new. If anyone does want to um, write a podcast recommendations list for Ramadan in particular. Do get in touch, contribute at amalia.com and any other Ramadan pieces come through. Honestly, like there will be thousands of people reading that piece and you could really honestly help someone's Ramadan be better. Mm. Oh, can I also just say this as well? Um, if you do go onto the Column Institute podcast, there is an episode called Ramadan Ready. Mm. Um, it was recorded for last year, uh, but it's there and you can re-listen to it, it for good? this year. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna listen to it. Um, yeah, you can listen to it for this year. Sorted, mate. Come mute and listening. Correct. All right, my first one is uh, it is un it is underrated how materialistic Ramadan is actually becoming. Mm-hmm. I was actually gonna say that Ramadan is fast becoming quite capitalistic um, I say this as a mother I say this as a parent um, with children year on your uh, yeah I've seen a steady increase of things available to buy your children from books toys to this thing Aren't to that thing heartwarmed yeah so it's double fold so part of it I think it's wonderful it's really great but I and I I, I love that there's lots of choice out there yeah. there's different um, price brackets as well like if you're on a bit, bit of bit of a budget there's things that you can buy you know on a lower price bucket and there's things that are really quite exquisite and the rest of it but I think we perpetuate the way we engage with it Mm. we're creating a bit of a machine and there's a bit of FOMO and there's a lot being churned out at the moment and it's almost like if you don't have this set up for Ramadan like like Pinterest that Pinterest perfect Ramadan And I just want to tell people to ignore it a little bit. And I'm not saying you shouldn't support the small independent businesses. You know, I think it's amazing that there are so many independent Muslim women who have created businesses out of, um, I guess, lifestyle businesses with these products that are perfect for your Ramadan, for your Eid, for Akikas, etc. Just go on Etsy. Do you think part of it is just as a consumer, don't overindulge and don't feel like... That's right. Don't overindulge and don't feel that you're missing out. Mm. Like, you know, as there... And not only that, I just... It's a lot of money as well, isn't it? It is. And I don't want us to get to a place in five years where, you know, we're putting on programs where people are saying that, you know, we're so broke by the end of Ramadan. Yeah. You're, like, you're like comparing Ramadan calendars. Yeah. Calendars. Or you see like last Christmas I was watching um, I was just TV say, to parallel it and you, said, you saw yeah. families that were saying yeah you know we are really financially strapped but we have to make yeah. Christmas special. And There is know, that real issue people like really suffer at Christmas time because of that. Exactly. That yeah so you basically just don't want to turn it into the same. Exactly. And there, there's, there's ways to like make Ramadan special without having to spend money. Like, you know what I said to my friend that the day I said do you know what we want to make Ramadan magical for our, our children right <laughs> by gifting them these books showing them this having these banners in our homes and this toy and that toy the rest of it I said I think the most magical thing about Ramadan that it is special mm. it is ordained by Allah and mm. it was sent by Allah the most special gift that you can give them is actually showing them the change that you were going through and the transformation that you're going through. Imagine by the in your inshallah by the end of Ramadan, my children have a more patient mummy, a mummy that has been spiritually filled, not someone who because there have been Ramadans where I've been exhausted trying to like create loads of different crafts every morning, make sure that they've got activities here, there, and everywhere. And honestly, from going to Umrah last year, Alhamdulillah, what they you know, in the same breath I say like don't spend money, and I'm I'm talking about me going to Umrah, Alhamdulillah. 
I guess what I want to use the example of Umrah was, you know, we were going through a lot of hardship in terms of Umrah. Like, it's hard, it's exhausting, but they remember the congregational salah, but mm. they remember sharing um, iftar with people. That's the thing, there are lo- lots of natural things in Ramadan that you can go and get your, like, even... Your high from. Yeah, like iftars and communities. There's a lot of community, and yeah. I feel like yeah. any little kid will Exactly, so take aspect. advantage of what is naturally occurring. So this Ramadan, all I've done is I had some Ramadan printables for street eats. I've got a couple of those left behind. My kids will be colouring that every time they go to the the mosque um, Olivia Seeds they sent me some printables which are available on Etsy they're really simple 30 deeds cards they're beautiful um, and that's all I have for Ramadan the rest of it I hope to show them community I hope to show them what Sadaqah is like and I hope to show them um, and I hope to share with them just some of the things that I love about Ramadan it doesn't have to be materialistic mm. honestly Ramadan is already special and kind of push that forward to them so when they have nothing they still find Ramadan special my simple uh, underrated is have your suhoor guys oh wow Honestly, have your suhoor. Suhoor is so underrated. If you struggle to get up and get out of bed, before you get to bed, do one thing. Take three days, because it's sunnah and odd numbers in that. Three days, a bottle of water, put it next to your bed, Mm, set your alarm and have that. Just have that. Get up and just have that. Honestly, if you can do suhoor, it will transform your fasting. And if, especially if you're someone who actually struggles with the physical aspect of it, have your suhoor, it will help you. I'm so jealous of people who live um, with big families and do suhoor, like, as a, almost like as an event. Numbers, numbers shouldn't be, you know. No, that's just me personally. Like, I, because I, it feels like a, like a little community. Mm-hmm. And like, Especially it, at that yeah. time in the it, night. That time, because yeah. it's, it's such a hard I want, mm. But do you know what? It's the community aspect yeah. of it. Because I noticed, because my family's just dwindled down. As mm. like, we had like six of us living at home at one point. So Hora was live. Yeah. Everyone so had that. I yeah. have had it. Yeah, and so like, for me, it's a process of missing it. Yeah, I agree with you. So Hora is massively underrated. Well, like, like at least getting the up. Ramadan edition. Yeah. Kind of happened heavily. organically. I think we needed it, right? And if you are... And um, if um, this will probably be going out when Ramadan has started, um, may Allah bless uh, your Ramadan. I mean, so much barakah. I mean, may it be transformational. I mean, um, but also, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Um, and yeah, and here I am, go hard or go home. No, yeah. just to, just take each day and just be incremental. Don't feel like, oh my God, my, you know, I feel like a lot of us we give up on Ramadan before it's over, and we're like, you know, I just didn't feel that like Ramadan feeling and da da da. But just make small, small little goals and actually plan your Ramadan plan. What you're going to be doing. And shout out to my Ramadan Muslims. Big up to you. Honestly, big up to you. I used to be a Ramadan Muslim. If you're someone that's going to ridicule them, shame on you. Hey everyone, Mohammed here, recording from King's College London Students' Union. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Two Cents on the Amalia Voices podcast. We'd love to get your feedback, so if you want to get in touch or read out next episode's credits, hit us up at contribute at amalia.com. We've also got a spot open for those of you who want to submit your own voices to Amalia. Tell us what you really took away or liked from this episode. You can also find us on Instagram at amalia underscore com and on Twitter at Amalia underscore tweets. This episode was hosted and produced by Sarah Amin and music by Mario Saad. Like, share and subscribe and we'll see you on the next one. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 